Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. This is a sermon to myself as much as to anyone here. in the- And I just wonder, have you ever been called immature? Often. Often. <laughs> there we go. You ever been called to stop acting like a child? You need to grow up. Surely it's time to put on your big boy pants. It's one of Debbie's favourites. No, it's not. Right. Shouldn't embarrass her. No, no one likes to be called out on immaturity. Whether it's among our friends, whether it's in school, university, in the workplace, it's even harder to take in the church. It's even harder to take. As we read through the passage today, This is a letter of Paul challenging the church on their spiritual growth. Certainly not a chapter I would choose. It's not a message I would choose. It's one I felt weighing heavily, but I think it is. It's good to be reminded. It's good to be challenged on where are we spiritually? Are we growing in faith? It's much more difficult to measure spiritual growth. It's not like height. No, in, in our house, there's always an issue of like height as the kids are growing up. We mark them off. This doesn't happen in a church. Daniel doesn't gather us and say, okay, let's see who's grown spiritually this year. Oh dear, you seem to be a bit down here. We seem to have huge growth. It's less tangible. And sometimes we often mistake it for religious activity. We're reading more Christian books. We give more money, we play worship, we attend more meetings, conferences, Christian events. These are good things, but they're not always a sign of spiritual maturity. And Paul is addressing the church at Corinth like this. This is a church that looks quite good on the outside. It's easy to be very critical of the church, but this is a church that is growing. It's diverse, it's multilingual, it's multi-generational. It is all classes, all peoples, everybody together. But yet there's real underlying issues in this church. Even though they, they speak about spiritual things, there's no real spiritual depth. They're more influenced by the spirit of the context around them than Jesus' teaching. They're intellectually smart, they're culturally relevant, but they lack real deep wisdom. They're knowledgeable, but they don't understand the things of God. They're experienced, but they're immature. They're sensitive. They're easily offended. They're continually causing conflicts and strife. So what is spiritual maturity? And how do we grow into it? It's difficult to grapple with. John the Baptist put it very succinctly when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. We need more of Jesus, perhaps, and less of us. As Pastor Mark Battison suggests, to me, growing into spiritual maturity is becoming less self-conscious and more God-conscious. Paul concurs with this. His challenge to the Corinthian church is to get your eyes off yourself, off who, which leader you're following, off your gifts, which lifestyle you're defending, and stop acting like infants that constantly have these needs and desires and grow into the life of Jesus. 
So in this chapter, Paul addresses the church at Corinth, their worldview. He addresses them with three very simple metaphors. The farm, the building site, and the church. But these are radical truths about Christian growth. I think these truths are firstly, God's not seeking superstars, he's seeking servants. We need to build carefully as our life and work matters and it will be judged. And we are God's temple and in him we have all things. Okay, I'm going to ask Ethan, I want to just give a context because sometimes we're moving around and the reading's happening and we're distracted and it's quite difficult. But I'm going to ask Ethan to come up and to read from God's word today. It's 1 Corinthians 3 and it's, pro- it's the full chapter. One Corinthians chapter three. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You were still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? What only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world 
or life or death or the present or the future all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God Thank you, Ethan. Sorry I made you probably read the, the longest passage we've had it in a while. I think Paul very clearly here is addressing spiritual immaturity, verses 1 to 5. He paints an image of this church and they're stunted in their development. He accuses them of being like overgrown babies, infants in Christ. They're still being breastfed babies' milk rather than moving on to the solid foods. No one wants to see an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old still feeding from his mother. It's quite an awkward sight. But the transition from mother's milk to solid food can be hard. I can see already Debbie's rolling her eyes. What do I know about (laughs) the struggles of breastfeeding? And I'm not going to talk about that, but our first child, Ethan, whenever he was still uh, feeding... Debbie suddenly had to go into hospital. He was about nine months, ten months old. She had a a problem with her knee. And suddenly she had to spend a week in hospital. And of course, being a good father, a desperate father, I was at home with Ethan. So that was a very sudden shift from his mother's milk to going on to solid food. Now luckily I have an amazing wife who prepared all these cubes of, you know, blended purified sweet potato broccolis and all of these type of things of course I was clueless no idea Ethan was was a good baby but I was introducing it to him you know by the end of the week we had moved on to Happy Meals ordering out Domino's pizza (laughs) it was very messy but for Ethan's growth and development it was important The the Corinthian church though are too comfortable with milk they're too comfortable with just the basics of the gospel. They need to become more independent. They need to learn to feed themselves. They need a more complex diet. I think there's a challenge there. Too often we settle for like microwave, microwave meal Christianity. You just pop it three minutes in the microwave and there it is. It's a three minute devotional. It's half a podcast. Our only real meal is the Sunday meal we get here in church. And you you know what? It's not enough. Spiritually, we're hungry. Spiritually, we're starving. We want more, but we haven't progressed off the milk. I feel a challenge in that there, that we need to... This here, this is God's complex buffet of, of his of wisdom and knowledge... We can't just sort of like snack off these tiny little bits. God wants us to go deeper into into his word. But the Corinthians, they're not just infantile in their diet. They're infantile in their demands and their tantrums. I love babies and we've got some lovely babies in this church. But you know, babies as lovely as they are, are also egotistical little tyrants. (laughs) They demand instant gratification, exclusive rights to their parents, and they make an unbearable racket. You can tell I've probably got some counselling to go through. The Corinthians are no different. This is what Paul's saying. They're not just on baby. Sorry about that, mate. 
I have offended you. Look at that beautiful, <laughs> that beautiful face. It did make me, whenever I had kids, I definitely believed in the sinfulness of man after having children. But Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and they're childlike in their conflict. It was like a playground. They're fighting over whose spiritual daddy is bigger, who's stronger. Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it, is it uh, Cephas? How do we grapple with these leadership issues? And it's very easy to be dismissive of this type of church, okay? We don't have this type of conflict in our churches today. Can you imagine churches splitting over, over leadership, internal struggles, jealousy and pride? But, you know, this is, this is the reality today. The, ch- the Corinthians church were like children. They were influenced by their context. Have you ever taken a child and brought them to a soft play? And just seen hundreds of children go absolutely crazy. Because the context they're in affects their behavior. The Corinthian church is influenced by a celebrity-saturated society. You know, Corinth is full of religious cult leaders, philosophical thinkers, aspiring politicians, musicians, poets, sporting heroes. The Olympics is held every four years, but Corinth had its own Olympic-type event. The, the Ethsmian Games that were held on a try uh, you know, every third year, and they involved wrestling, boxing, chariot races. And the, the heroes of those events, they were held up as celebrities. And what's interesting is that that type of celebrity culture infiltrated the church. This church were looking, okay, I belong to Paul, I belong to, to Kephas. They, they, they were divisive. They were struggling. They were looking at each other rather than looking in Jesus. They felt insecure. They were always worried about you know, how other people were doing, what was their position. And Paul says, no, no, this is not what the church is about. It is not about celebrity. It is not about this internal fixation on ourselves. We need to focus on Jesus. And spiritual growth is not about a lack of acumen, intelligence, discipline, but it's about the existence of unaddressed heart issues, sin, Strife and jealousy impedes our understanding of God. I wonder what is keeping you back in your spiritual development. Is it fear, resentment, unbelief? Philip Yancey says, The proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are, but an awareness of your own impurity. That very awareness opens the door to grace. And I think that's what Paul does today. He cracks open the doors of grace through these three metaphors that I'm going to look at. The farm, the building site, and the temple. I should thank Ethan, actually, as I was reading through this, I was struggling a little bit. It's a difficult passage, and Ethan was, oh, look, there's clearly metaphors. Why why is Paul so fixated with the metaphors? And that's what they are. The first metaphor, the farm. Is there any farmers in the church here today? I love this. That's when you know you're in a London-based church because everybody's like, the farm? Yeah, I once, you know, I once went and stroked a, a donkey at a pet. Or I've watched Clarkson's farm on Amazon. That's about, that's about as close as I've got to a farm. 
I grew up in Northern Ireland, surrounded by farms and farmers. It doesn't mean I have any idea of farming. In fact, I, I was 16, I needed some money, and I thought, you know what? Easy money, I'll work on a farm. I could do this over the summer. I'll pick potatoes, very simple. Just throw these things in a basket. After one day, I, I quickly reevaluated where my life was going, and I realized God had predestined me for a very different uh, vocation, hopefully something that did not involve farming or any manual labor, and which Debbie, Debbie knows all too, all too well. But Paul uses this metaphor of the farm to transport the church from the celebrity culture to the humility of the field, to the pursuit of individualism, to collective cooperation. And we, we see it in verse 5 here, when he says, who is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned. God requires servants, not superstars. I love that Paul doesn't just introduce himself, I'm the apostle. You know, we see it in London, every time I drive in here, everybody loves to call themselves the apostle. You know, the apostle of healing ministries and rainbows and all types of... It's, it's everywhere. People love the title. Paul's like, no, I'm a servant. I'm a farmer. And this is Jesus. You know, this is Jesus' example. He's the servant leader. Whoever wants to be first should be a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Because as servants, we're not rivals. We're co-workers in God's kingdom. We're in this together. Paul sowed, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. Paul is clear, this is not animal farm. This is not two legs are good, four legs are bad. Or maybe it's the other way around. We are God's fellow workers. We each have different skills. We each are important. You know, God uses us in our different ways. And too often we focus on others Okay, what, you know, they're great, they're up at the front, they're doing this. God, each has given us gifts, and this is about, it's not a competition. It's about the expansion of the church and God's kingdom. And that comes from us accepting who we are, knowing our gifts, and using them. Paul broke ground. He was an evangelist. He planted, he planted seeds. Apollos was a disciple. He was a disciple. A pastor, he watered, he helped people move on in their faith. These two go hand in hand. And then in a church, we need diverse gifts. If you're here today and you think, oh, I don't really have gifts, you're mistaken. God has given you gifts and you need to be using them and building them up into the, into the church. Another image on the farm is that we work together, but God alone gives the growth. I think this is such an important, and we, we say it, but I wonder, do we really believe it? It's so important, Paul says it twice. I planted, Paulus watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, only God gives the growth. This is the center of church planting. We're called to roles and, co and, and we work in, in the field. God is responsible for growing our church. There's an amazing liberty in this as leaders because there can be a lot of pressure. How many people are here? Is our church growing? How are we developing? 
And you know, we say we don't, we don't measure those things, but yet we continually emphasize it. There's so much emphasis in this idea that it's about your effort, it's about how many churches you've planted, it's about the numbers. God is not in the numbers game. I think it's important to, to remind us. God grows his church. And the reality of that, why it's important, is on God's farm, wages are based on labor, not on production. Praise, I praise God for this. We, we don't have a God who works by neoliberal capitalist standards. How much have you made today? What is your productivity rate? What's your utility uh, percentage? Look here, it says God gives us according to the labor, not to the results. I mean, that, that, that is liberating, that idea, because we are very much driven by results, by productivity, by what we have actually achieved. And that's not the farm image. That's not what the church, what spiritual growth is about. Because God calls us to be fellow workers. But if you see in verse 9, he also says, We're fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. This is interesting. While we're carrying out God's work, God is at work in our lives. In, in the Greek, the, the word God's field is this idea of a continually cultivated field. It's called Georgerium. And that's the important thing. God is at work in our lives. We don't just stand still when we come to faith. We are, it's an ongoing, we're an unfinished synth- symphony. God is at work. That means we have got problems, we've got questions, we have doubts. That is okay. We are not what we should be. We, God has moved us from a place, but we are on. We are being cultivated. We are being, as we work together, God is working in our lives. And I think that's a really key, important message on the farm. As we work together, God is at work in us. We're, we're not just sort of going backward. God is continually doing something in our own lives. So moving from the farm, we quickly move to the building, to the building site. I must admit, if I wasn't doing my, my job, I'd love to be an architect. I think architecture is really... Do we have any architects? No farmers, no architects. Oh, we have an architect. Great. Maybe I've watched too much TV, grand designs. You know, I aspire to like building a house under the ground or in a, in a rainforest or on a cliff. De- Debbie is doubts. I like being by, by the sea, but she's more of a pragmatist on that is going to erode and we're going to be left with, with no house. But last year I tried to, to landscape a tiny little part of our garden so as we could sit down in it. And I quickly realized the difference between reality and a dream. After three hours of moving rocks, trying to dig up a willow tree root, or it wasn't a, what was it, a, a holly root, I realized, again, this is something I'm useless at. My hands, like, are blistered. After three, three hours in the garden, I'm not an architect. I don't have any clue about building. That's another job I'm not cut out for. But Paul reminds the Corinthians, look, we're all called to build. We're all called to build God's church and God's kingdom. And Paul himself, in verse 10, he says he's a master builder. 
Now, when I think of Master Builder, I, I, I think of the Lego movie, it just shows my spiritual development. <laughs> where there's this little character that you just throw Lego pieces and he can create these you know, crazy things like you know, cars and, and bunk beds. Paul's not saying I can create magical things in God's kingdom. Paul's the master builder because he laid the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. He planted these church churches and he recognized that without Christ as the cornerstone, nothing is getting built. So the image of building brings a couple of things forth. The first one is our foundation is key. Our lives must be built on Jesus. We can build it on many things. We can build it on relationships. We can build it on family. We can build it on jobs. We can build it on an identity. But when things in our life are shaken, when earthquakes come, when ruptures come, they dissipate. And the question is, what are you left? What is the foundation of your life? I was struck by the recent earthquakes in, in Turkey and Syria. Just the images before and after. And somehow there was buildings that were left undamaged and there was buildings that just totally fell. They looked the same before. Those buildings looked exactly the same. But after the earthquake came, the question was, what was the foundation? Without foundation, it's just total decimation. And that happens in our life. There will be stuff that comes that will hurt us, we'll suffer loss, we'll have to deal with illness, we'll deal. And the question is, what, is the foundation enough? But sometimes in evangelical Christianity, the focus is rightly on the foundation, but there's not much on the building process. And this is where Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church and he says in verse 10, take care how you build. What materials are you actually using? Are you using gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw? I love wood, hay. When reading that, I, I didn't realize that, you know, that story of the pegs, wood, hay, and straw was nicked from, from 1 Corinthians. The idea, if we build with the wrong materials, again, there's going to be nothing left. What we build in this life counts, and our work matters. This is a challenge. There is actually a judgment. You know, we forget we're saved through salvation and faith in, in Christ, but there is a judgment on how we live our lives. Salvation is not just a future fixture. We don't just look to, to heaven. God wants us to build here and now. God wants us to make our lives count on this earth, to bring God's kingdom his will should be done on earth as it is in heaven. Martin Luther wrote, The kingdom of God does not consist in talk and in power, that is, in the works and practice. God loves the doer of the word in faith and love, and not the mere hearers, who, like pirates, have learned to utter expressions with readiness. Our work will be tested before the bema seat of God's, of God's judgment. Now, this is not about salvation but it's about reward. And Paul writes about that in Corinthians. He says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to them for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And there's rewards of service right through the New Testament. Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. 
a reward from your Father in heaven in Matthew, the righteous man, woman's reward, uh, a, a reward of labour and church planting, a fully reward for a conscientious Christian life. But the important thing also, verse 15, even though our lives will be judged, we cannot suffer the loss of our salvation. And that is key. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. God's really challenging this church not to, to focus on their leaders. God's not going to ask us how systematic our theology is, what church we belong to, and how often we attended. But what about our work for Jesus? This encompasses the everyday. This encompasses how we love, you know, the most important commandments, love God and love other people as ourselves. Don't waste your life on poor materials, on vanity projects. A fixation on future glory, and God wants to bring change now. He wants us to change, to build his kingdom here on earth. I think that's part of spiritual maturity. And the spiritual maturity is, is recognizing that God has purposes for us here and now. So we move from the farm to the building and finally the temple. I don't know if many people have been in, in, in temples, but uh, for the Corinthian believers, whether they're Jews or Greeks, I just. Uh, Temples loomed large in their lives. For the Jewish believers, the temple was the pinnacle. It was God's presence. It was where they went to worship. It's where they went to seek forgiveness, healing, blessing. When Paul wrote this book, the, the, the Jewish temple still existed in Jerusalem. But Corinth was also a city that was surrounded by temples. Temple to Aphrodite, the god of love. Temple of Apollo. Temple of Poseidon. The Corinthian Greeks love temples. They love this sort of manifestation of different gods' presence. It was the pride of the city. It contained artwork, wealth. It's a place where you would encounter love, and in this sense, a very physical love. The god of Aphrodite, you know, had a thousand cult prostitutes. You know, these are probably trafficked sex slaves that were used. Uh, and abused in worship. So Paul has a very different idea of the temple. He's moving the Jews and Greek believers away from this physical grandeur, this thing that is on their mind, to ourselves. You know, this is incredible, radical. He says, look, do you not know, in verse 16, have you forgotten? You're the temple of God. God's spirit dwells within you. This is one of the greatest miracles. God's incarnation, the fact that God took human form and entered our world, but also then the indwelling, to move from the incarnation of God entering our world to the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit entering us. This is what the church is about. We are God's temple because God's Holy Spirit indwells us. And we are in Christ and Christ is in God. Spiritual maturity moves us away from celebrity, from a focus on buildings, on a focus on 
on always on meetings on sort of like the highs of, 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 of worship to a recognition that God is at work through us and that we are the temple of God that comes with a responsibility our bodies are God's temple I remember again chatting uh, with one of my children on this on, on the question and they said you know maybe in the future I wouldn't eat this or I wouldn't drink this because it would harm my body I think that's that's great you know we don't always I think actually we have a low appreciation of the body these days we have a high appreciation of the mind and heart what we believe we are then we we, we said into into belief what we feel that's the most important thing but that our bodies are important God has given us our bodies we're not just about what we think we're also embodied human beings and we need to to be aware that with our bodies we can cause problems we can cause divisions and tensions we're deceived we're deceived by the sort of spiritual ideas of the age God calls us back to just to focus on his wisdom his truth and this idea that we are his field his building and his temple I think spiritual maturity is recognizing that we're co-workers but in Christ we have all things and we are Christ and Christ is his body so just to conclude we don't Sadly, we don't accidentally slip into spiritual maturity. It doesn't come with age. If only it came with age. As we get older, we're just always going to become spiritually mature. Like sometimes it happens, and that's a good thing. I'm not, uh, I'm not dissing our older, uh, our older uh, members of the church. But I think it's dangerous if we assume that we will just accidentally grow into maturity. It's a continual pursuit. It's a deliberate perseverance. As Eugene Peterson calls it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. He actually stole that title from Nietzsche. Probably best not to to read much of Nietzsche. But he's right in that sense. It's a long obedience in the right direction. Spurgeon instead instead very colourfully says, it's actually like climbing up a hill of ice. So the Christian life is like climbing up a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with a nice pick. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. I think it's a massive challenge. That's what spiritual immaturity is. You can never stand still in the Christian life. We have to be walking and progressing and moving forward. And I wonder, have we moved beyond the infant stage? Are we too comfortable on being spoon-fed? Are we too comfortable on the faith of our parents, on the faith of our church leaders, that we're not stepping out onto our own faith? Growth is the evidence of life, but that also involves change and change is difficult change is frightening it's about stepping into the unknown but God wants us to grow and therefore that means taking steps sometimes that's into the unknown sometimes that's going beyond 
what we're comfortable with. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes that will be through suffering. That's when we can gain sometimes the most learning because we become reliant on God. So God wants us, I feel today, to, to, to think about where we are spiritually and are we ready to move forward in him. And that calls about a repentance of attitudes. Maybe you need to ask God to deal with some hard issue because it's holding you back. Maybe you need to accept that God is going to move you forward if we widen our vision of him. It's not just about the performance of Christianity. It's about co-work on his farm, in his building. And we do it because we're empowered by the Spirit of God in his temple.